We are on Yevamos Ayin Omid Aleph, 70a, and we are starting a new parak, a new chapter in Yevamos. It's a very interesting parak, which we'll be discussing a lot of uh, different and interesting topics. Our Mishnah continues with the topic uh, that we left off with, which is the issues of truma. Who is allowed to eat truma? Truma is the special food which is given to the Kohanim, who is not allowed to eat truma. And so the Mishnah starts off and it says, Ha'arel v'chol ha'tmeim lo yochlu b'truma. This is just a, a basic rule that anybody who is impure, if you're impure, you are not allowed to eat truma. If you've uh, become impure uh, through different ways of becoming impure, which is not, we don't have time to get into right now, but if a person, if a Kohen is impure, or let's say his wife is impure, anybody who's impure, so then they are not allowed to eat truma. Additionally, that's found in, in the verse itself, in the Torah. Additionally, somebody who is not circumcised, they didn't have a circumcision, they're an RL, uh, they also are not allowed to eat truma. That itself is not found explicitly in the Torah. And the Gemara will try to find what exactly is the source. There'll be a dispute as to what is exactly the source for somebody who is not circumcised, whether or not they are, why the, why they are not allowed to eat truma. But the mission continues, and it says, Even though, let's say the Kohen himself is not allowed to eat truma, either because he's impure or because he's not circumcised, but that, that does not impact the other people that are within his family or or a part of his household. That doesn't prevent them from eating truma, meaning his wife is still allowed to eat truma, his non-Jewish slaves are still allowed to eat truma, because this is actually something that we've seen in the past, this was in the beginning of the last chapter, that even though that there are different scenarios where if he himself has is not fit to eat truma, so then that disqualifies others as well. Um, but that is that is not the case when it comes to circumcision or when a person's impure. And that's what we had earlier because there's a way to fix the problem. You have a, it's, or really, it's, it's, it's because it's an external disqualification. It's not something which is inherent, internal. It's an external disqualification. Happens to be right now he's impure. Happens to be right now... He's not circumcised. But that doesn't define him as somebody who is completely disqualified. And so therefore his wife and his non-Jewish slaves are allowed to eat truma. That is the first half of the Mishnah. The second half of the Mishnah discusses a totally different case. And it says as follows. What happens if you have somebody who, uh, unfortunately, he has crushed testicles, uh, the man, or he has... Um, he, he, the membrane, uh, the male organ is uh, severed. It's cut off. So in such a case, that's not a problem in terms of eating truma. That doesn't disqualify you in any way. Uh, it wouldn't disqualify any of his family either or the non-Jewish slaves. However, when would it disqualify? However, uh, there is a Torah prohibition to have sexual relations with a man who does not, who has a crushed uh, testicles or a severed uh, membrane, um, and if it's cut off, so then <coughs> in such a case, you're not allowed to have sexual relations. So if he had sexual relations with his wife, so then she then becomes disqualified from eating truma based on the principle that we've been discussing over the last couple of weeks, that any time that she has sexual relations 
in a prohibitive way, when the Torah says you're not allowed to, so then that disqualifies her from eating truma. So the wives, they are they are not eating truma. However, however, if um, if they never had sexual relations, they're married, but from the point in time that he had crushed testicles, they never they didn't have any sexual relations. So then she's allowed to eat truma. There's no problem with it. The problem only exists once they have sexual relations in a prohibitive fashion. Uh, but because they never had sexual relations after he had his crushed testicles, so then she's allowed to eat truma. And the mission just ends off helping define what it, what exactly does this mean. Uh, the the specific cases here. Vezu psuadaka. What is a case of crushed testicles? Even if it's one of them, one of the two, even one of them that gets crushed, it becomes a psuadaka, and you're not allowed to have sexual relations with that person. What about a severed membrane? Anytime that the gid, uh, the male organ, is cut off, uh, you're not allowed to have sexual relations with him. However, if part of the uh, the crown, uh, even just a little bit, remains, so then it's kosher and you are allowed to have sexual relations with such a person. Okay, that is the end of the Mishnah. So essentially, there were, there were two parts to the Mishnah. The first part was discussing somebody who is impure or not circumcised. The second part of the Mishnah was discussing these other cases where there, there's nothing which which makes makes the man... Uh, disqualified from eating truma, it's just that if he has sexual relations when he's not allowed to, uh, so then that disqualifies his wife from eating truma. Okay, but the Gemara now will focus on the first part of the Mishnah, really on the case of an RL, somebody who's not circumcised, which we pointed out in the beginning. Uh, there's no source for that explicitly in the Torah. So the Gemara wants to know, where is this from? Tanya. We have taught in Abraisa, Abraisa teaching from the times of the Mishnah, Omar Rabbi Lazar. Rabbi Lazar says, How do we know that an RL, somebody who's not circumcised, is not allowed to eat truma? So we learn it from a different context. We know in a different context that somebody who's not circumcised is not allowed to do something. Where, what's that context? By the carbon Pesach, by partaking in the in the Pesach offering, you can only eat at the, you can be involved in the Pesach offering if you had a circumcision. In fact, circumcision and eating the carbon Pesach, the Pesach offering, are very much connected. Those are the two only positive commandments, meaning you have to do this, where if you don't do it, the punishment is kares, is an early death. And they are very much linked. They perhaps reflect the idea of entering into the covenant of the Jewish people, both on a yearly basis through the sacrificial offering of the Pesach offering and having a circumcision. And so we're going to learn one from the other. It says, It mentions the words Toshav and Sachir, those words, which we'll get back to, what exactly that means by the carbon Pesach, by the Pesach offering, same words are found by Truma. <coughs> and so therefore there's a concept called a Gezer Shava. Gezer Shava is one of the tools that we use in order to extrapolate and learn various halachic principles. And so because the, the same words are found in both places, so then we can learn from one place to the other different laws. And so we learn that just like by the carbon Pesach, by the Hezal Avram, you have to have a circumcision if you want to be involved. So, so too, if you want to eat truma, you need to have a circumcision. That is all the position of Rabbi Lazar. Comes Rabbi Kiva and argues. Rabbi Kiva Omer, Rabbi Kiva says, No, ain't no tzarech. Harehu Omer. It, you don't need to come on to a verse 
from the outside, from the Pesach offering. No, just look inside the same verse which is found in the Torah by Truma. It says, Ish, Ish. The verse says, Ish, Ish, person, person. Literally, from a, a person who is <coughs> a descendant of Aaron. And it's in the context of Truma. Why does it repeat Ish, Ish? To teach me that what type of person do we need? Somebody, we extrapolate, and we embellish, and it says it's referring to somebody who had a circumcision. That's what it's referring to. We need it for somebody who has a circumcision. Um, and that is the position of Rabbi Kiva, that it's found explicitly in, not explicitly, but it, it, the, the source for it is found within the verses of Truma itself, and not that we have to extrapolate from Karban Pesach, by the Pesach offering, but within Truma itself, because of the added word ish, it's there to include somebody who uh, never had a circumcision that they are not allowed to eat uh, truma. It's just it's an interesting, just one interesting point that's mentioned by some of the commentators that it comes out that according to Rabbi Kiva, it really seems to be this way from the from the commentators that according to Rabbi Kiva, there's a somewhat of an equation between not being circumcised and being tame, being impure. Uh, because the verse of ish-ish, of person-person, when it has that double language, is in the context of impurity. And so they want to say that uh, whenever somebody who's impure is disqualified, so too somebody who's not circumcised is also disqualified. So this might extend beyond the laws of truma. Anytime that a Kohen is is, um, is tame, is impure, so he's not allowed to work in the base of Mikdash, in the temple, uh, you know, various halachos apply, various laws apply to a Kohen who is impure, besides for the fact that he can't eat truma. So then, according to Rabbi Kiva, it would extend somebody, a Kohen who is not circumcised, he didn't have a circumcision, he also wouldn't be able to serve in the base of Mikdash. They, essentially, this verse is, is teaching us that they are equated, somebody who didn't have a circumcision and also somebody who is impure. However, according to the first explanation, where it's really derived from an outside source, from the Pesach offering, so then in such a case, all we can learn is to Truma. We cannot extend it beyond Truma. We wouldn't know what would apply for somebody, a Kohen who's not circumcised, are they or are they not allowed to serve in the base of Migdash, to serve in the temple? Uh, that would be that would be more of an open question. But that would perhaps be a ramification between what exactly is the is the source. One other point is um is that it is discussed what happens if we have somebody who is, uh, let's say they didn't have a circumcision because uh, for health reasons, that there's a serious health concern for them to have it go through a circumcision, would they be included in this type of RL or not, where they become disqualified from truma? Because if it's a, if it's a serious health concern, so then there is no mitzvah to go through a circumcision. If it's really, really going to have the potential to lead to... Uh, uh, to, to, to a serious issue. Uh, so then, would they be allowed to teach him or not is also a very, very big discussion found amongst the commentators here. Let's go on in the Gemara. The Gemara now will analyze the first opinion. Omar Mar. It repeats it. And we learn it from Korban Pesach. They both say the words Toshav Vesacher, which literally means workers, different forms of workers of, they work for the, for the Kohen. So the Mara says, Mufna. It must be that this Gzereshava, essentially this principle of using Gzereshava, where the words are similar and then therefore we could derive one law 
from one place to another place, it has to be that those words that are the same are extra. They have to be unnecessary words in order for us to extrapolate because there's a principle that uh, if there's a way to ask a question that maybe there's a reason why we shouldn't compare the two laws, <coughs> so we would ask that question unless those words are actually unnecessary. What question could you ask? The carbon Pesach, one could have made an argument to say that by the Pesach offering, it is much more stringent than Truma. Because by the Pesach offering, there are other conditions and factors involved that, for example, uh, there is a, if, if you eat the carbon Pesach, the Pesach offering, when you're impure, or you don't have the right uh, mindset uh, when you're bringing it about, about when you're going to eat it, um, it, it has a, a very severe punishment of kares involved, which is not true for truma. Truma doesn't have as severe of a punishment. So one could have said that in RL, somebody who's not circumcised is only disqualified by the more severe mitzvah, the more serious mitzvah of the Pesach offering, and not by truma. That's what one could have argued. And then that would have... That would have um, Un, you, the, the entire Xer Shava, the entire principle of Xer Shava of comparing two different words would not apply because you could ask this question unless the words are extra. So we're going to see. The Gemara now will discuss how are the words extra or are they not? So it says, Loi, Afnui Mufna. It is extra. I can prove to you they're extra. Hi, Mufna. Which one's extra? Again, we have two words, Tosha Vesachir by Pesach. We have those same words by Truma. So which in, in which context is it extra? Sigmar says, If it's in the context of truma, it says Toshav Asachir. Toshav Asachir means a worker. What does it mean? What type of worker are we talking about here? We're talking about a Jewish slave. We've been discussing in the past, we had a lot of discussions about a non-Jewish slave. Now we're discussing a Jewish slave. A Jewish slave is very different than a non-Jewish slave. A Jewish slave is Jewish. Uh, a non-Jewish slave, he goes through some sort of conversion. A Jewish slave is completely Jewish. Uh, he goes free after six years, right, if he wants to, um, a non-Jewish slave does not go free. Uh, there are many differences between a Jewish and non-Jewish slave. So we're discussing here a Jewish slave. A Jewish slave is not allowed to eat truma. If he's not a Kohen, even though his master is a Kohen, he's not really viewed as part of the household of the Kohen. The non-Jewish slave is. That's why he would be allowed to eat truma as an extension of his master who is a Kohen. But a Jewish slave is not viewed as an extension. And so therefore, he's not allowed to eat truma. <coughs> there are really two types of Jewish slaves. There's a Jewish slave who goes, who goes free after six years. But then there's another one who voluntarily uh, could choose to, to stay as a slave until the Yovel, until the end of 50 years, the Yovel year, the, the Jubilee year. Um, and he can, make that, he can make that voluntary decision. Um, and that's what Toshav and Sachar are referring to. One's referring to uh, one which is where he's a slave for until the Yovel year, until the 50th year. And the other one is until the end of the 6th year. Ditanya, we need both. Toshav zakanu kinin olam. Sachar zakanu kinin shanam. Toshav, which means that really to be settled, is the Jewish slave who's there for till the Jubilee year, till, till the 50th year. Sachar is the one who's the Jewish slave for uh, just for a certain number of years, until the to the Till the end of the sixth year. V'yomer toshav al-yomer sachir. V'ani omer konekin olam eno ochel konekin shanam lo kol shikain. Yilukain ha'yisin omer toshav za konekin shanam avakin olam ochel ba sachir v'limit al toshav shafi shikonekin olam eno ochel eno ochel. 
And the Gemara says, we need both words. Both words are not extra. We need both words. If we only had one, so then we would say that that one, if we only had Tosha, we would say that that one is referring to a slave only for a certain number of years. They don't get to eat Truma. But if a slave until the 50th year, you're with that family for 50 years, up to 50 years, so then maybe they do eat Truma. They would eat Truma. That's why we need both words. We need both words to tell you that not only in a case where he's a slave only for a few years, but even in a case where he's a slave for 50 years, up to 50 years, he also is not viewed as part of the household of the Kohen. He's, a, he's his own Jew. He's his own Jew who has his own family. And so therefore, since he's not, he himself is not a Kohen, just because his master is a Kohen, he is not allowed to eat truma. And that's what the Pasuk is telling us. That's what the verse is telling us. And so it's not extra. It's obvious. So, El de Pesach, Mofni. So maybe the two words Toshav Asachir by Karban Pesach, by the Pesach, maybe that's extra and open. Why? <coughs> Where it says, Hi Toshav Asachir, the Kosov Rachman and Pesach, my new. Toshav Asachir, when it says that by the Karban Pesach, by the Pesach offering, it says, by the Pesach offering, it says that they are not allowed to eat the Karban Pesach, the Pesach offering. If we're discussing a Jewish, a Jewish worker, somebody who's a Jewish worker, who's a Jewish slave, how could you tell me that a Jewish worker is not obligated in the Pesach offering? That's what the Torah says. A Jewish worker, Toshav Asachir, is not obligated in the Pesach offering. How could that possibly be? They're not allowed to eat it from the Pesach offering? But we know, we just learned that from Truma, that uh, they don't eat Truma from their master, meaning they're their own entity. They have their own, ent- their, their own identity. They're not viewed as part of the household of their master. So to here, Amma Lokani Le Rabbi. So the master doesn't have any ownership over them. That's how we know they don't need Truma if they're not a Kohen and their master's a Kohen. So Hakanami Lokani Le Rabbi. So it's obvious if they are Jewish and they are working for another Jew, uh, so why would you ever think that they're exempt from the Pesach offering? They're obligated in all mitzvos, just like they're obligated in the other 612 mitzvos. They're also obligated in the mitzvah of eating from the Pesach offering. What, what does it even mean for the Torah to tell us? That if they're a worker, that they cannot eat from the Pesach offering. Uh, they have to eat from the Pesach offering. There's no reason for us to assume not. So that's why That's why it must be open. It's extra. It doesn't even make sense. So it's open to, for us to make this Xer Shava. Again, going back to the original point, we need to be open to make this Xer Shava, to make this connection to Truma, to tell us that just like by the Pesach offering, you need to have a circumcision. So to, to eat Truma, you need to have a circumcision. So those words are open. It's not enough for it to be open on one side, for it to be extra words on one side, meaning by the side, by the Pesach offering. If you could ask a question, like the original question that we had, that the Pesach offering is more stringent, and it comes with more ramifications, with more punishment, a more severe punishment of kares, uh, of an early death. So it's, it's more severe. So, therefore, we cannot, maybe we can't learn one from the other. Maybe only, you need a circumcision only by the Pesach offering, but not by eating truma, which is less, which is less severe. Uh, and so whenever you ask a question, according to Rebbe Yazer, it needs to be open from both sides, meaning the words found by the Pesach offering have to be unnecessary, and the words found by the truma need to be unnecessary. And we just said that the words by truma are necessary. So how they open on both sides. Sigmar has a very interesting idea. It says... Essentially, the Gemara says uh, that 
Because it's two words, it's not just one word, it's Toshav Vesacher, two different types of workers. Those are both extra when it comes to the Pesach offering. So we're doing, you have to understand how, the, how these, uh, these halachic principles work. But we're able to take one of the words and say it's as if it's found in the context of Truma and it's extra. So one word is extra in the context of Pesach. The other word, which is also found by Pesach, but we could sort of uh, say that it's within the context of Truma, and therefore it's extra by Truma. So now we have two words that are extra, uh, one by Pesach, one by Truma, and therefore we can, in fact, learn this Gzirashava. We can, in fact, learn from one to the other, from Pesach to Truma, to say that uh, in both cases, in order to eat from the Pesach or from the Truma, you need to have a circumcision. And that's what the Gemara says. Um, to conclude this Gzairishava. We'll continue uh, with uh, the rest of this Gemara in the next recording, but just to point, uh, mention one other point, uh, there's a big discussion. We started the discussion about an Evid Ivri, about a Jewish slave, and we said that the Jewish slave is, has its own identity. He really has his own identity. Um, that's why he's obligated in all mitzvos. It's obvious that he's obligated in all mitzvos. He's not, he's not viewed as part of the household of his master. So this is really not so simple. There's another Gemara which implies otherwise, in fact, there's a law that a Jewish slave is allowed to marry a non-Jewish slave, a non-Jewish woman who is a slave. He's allowed, he's allowed to have sexual relations with her, uh, even though any other Jew would not be allowed to. Another Jew would not be allowed to. However, if you're a Jewish slave, so then you are allowed to. So we see that there are some differences when it comes to the law between a Jewish slave and any other Jew. Uh, so you really have to analyze to figure out what exactly is the identity of a Jewish slave. Does anything actually change for the Jewish slave because he becomes a slave uh, for another Jew? Because he's working for another Jew, does that change his identity at all or not? From our Gemara, it implies not. It seems to be that no, it, he's obligated on Mitzvot, nothing changed. Uh, but elsewhere, it implies otherwise. And so this is a big discussion amongst uh, the commentators. We'll continue with the Gemara in the next recording.